listen, same vision is for equal rights and justice for the people, them. What's happening to this beautiful world that we're living in? World citizen, lift up your voices. Welcome to another episode of the People Powered Planet Podcast, where each week we bring you amazing solutionaries. While so many programs devastate us with all the problems of the world, we we focus on solutions. How can we, the people, build the planet and future we choose? Uh, And today, I have some very special guests. I have Liz Mangual and Bob Canagas. Uh, and if you notice the resemblance of last names, that's because he's my cousin. Uh, but he's much more than that. He and Liz run Story Connection. And it's a program in New Mexico. They travel the world telling stories that uh, celebrate the intersec- intersection of myth and family and culture. And uh, they have traveled the world telling life-affirming stories. Uh, but they've also uh, returned from an incredible trip uh, to Morocco. And I think I'll actually, just a moment to introduce them. Uh, I will share screens just a second here and show you their wonderful website uh, because I think it gives a great introduction. In a world where, (laughs) in a world where kids read, explore, listen, imagine, create, speak, stories come alive. Join Bob Canagas and Liz Mangual in the superpower of the storyteller. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, as you see, they've had a uh, they they returned from a magic carpet ride, the Marrakesh International Storytelling Competition. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce. Uh, I'm delighted to introduce Liz Mangual and Bob Canagas. Hi, Arthur. Hi, everybody. Well, who's hello, Arthur. Tuned in here live, everyone, and uh, people who might tune in later. Hi. Hi. Good. Good. Well, welcome. I think from uh, from the beginning, uh, sitting around the campfire, uh, you know, people were storytellers. Um, and I think the key thing we're going to be talking about today is the power of stories. What do you see as uh, the power of stories uh, as being central to the evolution of society? <laughs> you started with a big question there, Arthur. <laughs> the, uh, well, should I... Uh... What, sure. Go forth here. Sure. Well, I mean, there's so many different ways to answer this, and academics could could an, might answer it in a in a in a different way. There's uh, I forget his name, but someone has said that uh, we are Homo narrans, N-A-R-R-A-N-S. It's storytelling that uh, uh, that makes us uh, makes us unique. So uh, it's easier for me to just to just answer in a very very personal way, which which is that when we are with other folks, particularly live and in person, it just seems like a, an incredibly powerful way to, uh, to connect, uh, to connect directly. And uh, there's a, a wise one said, if I, tell you, if I tell you my story, you're gonna listen for a while and then you're probably gonna fall asleep. But if I tell you my story and as you listen to my story, you begin to hear your story, you're going to wake up, and and so the what storytelling does is it helps us wake up to our own stories and each other's stories. And uh, I think uh, uh, we could go on for the entire hour with, with an answer to that question, Arthur. But uh, we uh, we are constantly uh, banging the drum and trying to live the life that that storytelling is a way to uh, uh, 
to be to be with people in a very special way. I love that answer because I think it's so true that as we're hearing stories, we connect to to our story, and that's when the story starts to resonate with us, and we start to see the feel the parallels, and then we feel drawn into their story because it connects to ours. Uh, that's why I guess in the in the hero's journey uh, story arc that Joseph Campbell talks about. It always starts with home and, and returns to home because that's sort of our connection to take us on that on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know it, what you said about a personal story. It also, I'll tell you my personal story on that, and that is that I was working very hard in Washington D.C. with a group of retired admirals and generals and with Paul Newman to uh, to try to stop the nuclear arms race. And we had some major impact working with getting with the day after and so on. Um, but I began to realize uh, that, like, I, I, I would help write testimony that Admiral Iraq would deliver to, to Congress, that Paul Newman would deliver, and the facts and figures and so forth we were citing weren't, weren't having traction. They weren't, weren't, weren't solving things. And I real, began to realize, you know, it's really the power of story that changes things. And that's when we were working with the day after and with the story that you know, had a major impact. It, 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 you know, none of the facts and figures convinced Ronald Reagan uh, mm-hmm. to get off the path of heading toward actually thinking he, he could fight and win a nuclear war, as his generals were telling him he could, and they were egging him on. Uh, but when he saw that story of uh, and resonated with it as here's a family and how it impacted him, he he got nightmares. He decided he had to turn around uh, the arms race and started major negotiations that vastly ended up reducing the number of nuclear weapons. Uh, now leaders have forgotten that. They maybe need a new story to give them a, a kick in the butt. But in my personal life, that's when I shifted from trying to do facts and figures to trying to do storytelling and moved to New Mexico to work on storytelling with Bullyproof and then storytelling with the movie, because I realized people are more moved by stories than they are by all the most convincing facts and figures. Has that been your experience? Uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, storytelling uh, is is uh, or stories are. Someone has, has said that uh, I wish I could uh, attribute these to particular individuals, but these are ideas that have stuck with me. But it's like the ultimate uh, high impact, low uh, low tech technology, and and. Uh, I think it's true. Just recently, uh, we, we uh, had a conversation with a with a kindergarten friend of mine just a few days ago, Afalagi uh, <laughs> August Sabini, and uh, he grew up in, a, in an intentional community in the late '40s and early in early '50s, uh, and he was my classmate when they did duck and duck and cover when we were doing duck and cover drills in in the '50s, and. All the kids from Skyview Acres were refuseniks. They were little second, third, fourth, and fifth grade refuseniks. They refused that their, their parents wouldn't let them duck and cover. Uh, and the way part of the you know the rationale I had heard was that they felt that they were were uh, didn't want their kids buying into to a into a war mentality. And I asked Augie when he visited uh, the last time. I said. Did you understand that when you were, you know, eight, seven and eight years old? I mean, how did you know what you were doing? And then he told me a personal story. And he said that during that time, his community, there, there were a group of women who were uh, victims, but survivors, bad, badly burned women uh, from Hiroshima 
who came for, for operations in the United States, and they stayed with the families in Skyview. And so as a seven and an eight-year-old, he had personal interactions with, uh, with, these, with these women. Uh, uh, the horrors of nuclear war became very personal. And uh, you know, he has been a lifelong you know, peacenik ever, ever since. And, and, and others, uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one, of the, one of my kindergarten uh, classmates from, from that period uh, went on to uh, found Musicians Without Borders uh, in, uh, in the Netherlands right now. So uh, yeah, so personal stories uh, and, and experience related that way. Yeah, it's unbelievably yeah. powerful. Well, your 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 story of duck and cover, of course, resonates with my story. It brings to mind that when I was in school, my my parents never told me not to duck and cover. They they didn't have anything to do with that. But I I refused to duck and cover. I I said to the teachers, uh, I'm I'm not going to do that. Have you seen the pictures of Hiroshima? I mean, we're in Washington D.C. This building's not going to be here. What do you mean, get down under our desks? That's you know. <laughs> and so she sent me to the principal's office, and I you know, said the same thing to the principal. And I, uh, and I actually, uh, uh, Peace Pilgrim stayed at our house. Uh, we had Peace Pilgrim who had walked 50,000 miles for peace, 25,000 men, but she kept walking the rest of her life. And we have her old shoes, but she walked with no money, no support, just on faith and spoke about peace everywhere. And uh, so I actually brought her to our school and took her around the different classes, asked the teacher, could she speak to the class? And she did. And I got sent to the principal because, you know, you're not really allowed to bring unauthorized visitors in and just take them around to speak to all the classes. But uh, so I resonated with your story of the, of the kids. And, uh, uh, and I think that is so crucial that we, we tell stories and resonate. I wonder, Liz, uh, does the discussion we're having bring any story to mind that, that you'd like to share of either... Uh, uh, either some people you've interacted with or your experiences? Well, you know, I don't have the history that the two of you have had with with, uh, with the political involvement in that way in consciousness. But, you know, it's um, so, so many of the stories that Bob and I tell are not just their personal stories, but they are the, the stories that come from mythology and folklore. And um, and so it's 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 um, it gives us an opportunity to kind of tap into um, world stories and how they might have an impact on the listener. So it, so so stories have a way of landing um, for people in certain ways, and in 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 how we choose those stories and and present them to people who, who will be the listeners of the stories are, are as powerful and can have as much impact as the personal stories that we tell of ourselves. And um, so I just wanted to add that piece because uh, I know we're talking, and you know, stories, they are powerful. They, they're powerful because every single day, how we live into the stories of our own lives, right? And, um, and in 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 just being aware, and that's what storytelling has done for me, and that's how it's had a power for me, is that it has helped me see that I have a choice of how I weave my own story every day, and 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 how the then my story interacts with the rest of the world and the people that I work with, and um, 
and 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 and, and they are choices. Words are choices that we use. And uh, yeah. I don't. Let me uh, let me jump off yeah. from that, Arthur. If we can continue a little bit, we were uh, before we started. We we spoke a little bit about our our idea that everybody has two great stories. The the story of me. Mm. You know, on my own favorite subject, I admit it. Uh, the story of me <laughs> and the and the story of we. The story uh, of we. I mean, the story of we is the big is the bigger story. It's, it's it and and where those two stories interact, they intersect. Uh, that's where uh, I don't know that that that's where uh, community happens. That's where that's where relationship happens. Uh, and and that story of we not only includes uh, your life, everybody who's listening, all, all our lives and, and our interactions, but that story of we also includes uh, the legacy uh, of, of, of our families, of our cultures, uh, the myths, the legends, uh, the folk tales that have meaning for us. That's all part, that's all part of the story of we. So that's, that's the interesting place that we like to inhabit, where all that, where all that comes together. When, that, when we that that intersection of story and culture is so beautiful. So Liz, did that seem to, did that bring to mind a story to you? But here's, here's a funny story. I mean, I've been focusing a lot on bilingual uh, stories uh, because I grew up speaking Spanish when I was growing up in New York City with my family who always spoke Spanish at home. So, um, and uh, so this is the story. And and this is so, a story for children, but it's really but, for all ages. But before Liz tells the story, I just want to preface it a little bit yeah. because uh, when Liz when Liz speaks about being a bilingual storyteller, okay, that's two that's two languages. Okay, so she you know, tells to an audience that she's telling in Spanish, she's uh, telling in Spanish and English, but she does it in such a way that she is really. Uh, celebrating and she she brings the audience in you know who speaks other languages what are the languages that you spoke and really uh uh celebrates the power of all languages and this is the story she's going to tell you is just sort of one way she does that well of course it's celebrating all languages thank you bob yeah yeah and 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 that's really the motivation for 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 my telling bilingual stories is is to celebrate all languages and all cultures. And, um, and so, so once, había una vez, once there was una mamá ratón, a mother mouse. She was walking with her ratoncitos, her baby children across the field. It was a beautiful spring day as it is out here today. I don't know how it is over there, but it's beautiful here. And they were just having a wonderful stroll across the field when suddenly, when they came to the other side of the field, a big cat jumped out from behind the tree and said, yeah. and well, what do you think? Do you think that Mama Raton was afraid of that big cat? I see so. a nod yes <laughs> and a nod no. Well, Mama Raton stood up straight 
and she looked him right into those red eyes with the sharp claws sticking out and said, when the cat heard that fluffing, he turned around and ran off as fast as he could. Mama Raton turned to her little ratoncitos and said, ¿Ves, niños? Ahora saben la razón de hablar un segundo idioma. Now you know the power of speaking a second language. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that, was, that was a very short version of the story, but... <laughs> Well, that's true. When we speak another language, we have impact. And it's interesting that the story, uh, the stories intersect in two ways. Uh, that is, the stories intersect in that uh, they can uh, they can they can build companion build build relationships. Like you could build a relationship between the mouse and the and the aggressor cat, uh, and the cat could become its friend, or build a a power relationship. And and somehow there's a balance of both which are necessary to resolve conflicts. If it's always the, the soft side, uh, you end up getting over-dominated. But if it's always the hard side, you head toward what we're, what we're heading for in the wor world, kind of war and nuclear extinction. So it seems like the stories can bring a balance to uh, the two sides of how, uh, how, how that, uh, uh, that mouse from one culture interacts with that antagonistic cat from another. Uh, do, you, do you have stories that go both ways on that? What, what I thought of was actually our good friend, Joe Hayes. I think you've met Joe, Arthur, yeah. uh, one of the wonderful, great storytellers of the, of the Southwest. He tells a story called Soft Child, and it's about the rattlesnake and how, the, mm -hmm. and, how and, and how and why the rattlesnake uh, uh, got its, uh, got its, uh, its venom and, and its bite. But, but the way that he tells that story is very much about, you know, that uh, the rattlesnake had had and has a soft nature, uh, but had to defend himself because he was bullied basically by a by a rabbit in in this story. Uh, and it's a, it's it's a, it's a, it's a cautionary tale that, that basically says that uh, we can live we we can live together. It's good to be uh, uh, to, to to find a way to live together in balance and with respect. Uh, and we also have to protect ourselves. And uh, that that's a uh, uh, that's one story that really comes to mind. Well, that's a good lead into uh, the storytelling work you did with us uh, when I was back in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where we developed the Bullyproof program that used a series of 10 animal characters to, uh, uh, to teach kids to, to, to have stories that taught kids uh, how to handle conflicts in more powerful ways than violence. Um, and uh, Maybe you'd like to say a little bit about the Bullyproof program and the incredible impact it had when you were working with kids in detention centers and 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 uh, schools and uh, you know with, with with gang kids with this program. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get started. Perhaps Liz will Liz, Liz will jump in. I mean, as you know, Arthur, it went through uh, it went through many many iterations and phases from uh, from the rap and roll Bullyproof opera that you did with uh, gang members. To to the to the puppet plays, and then the uh, work in elementary schools, uh, really kind of pioneering work it was a little bit before online bullying became uh, such a, such a problem. For us, uh, after after you and Molly uh, 
uh, moved down to Me uh, to Mexico, we we incorporated more more storytelling into it. We were working with everybody. Uh, you might find it interesting. We we took the the core of the bullyproof program and and looking for alternatives to violence to work with the incarcerated teens. This was a a um, an evolution of bullyproof when we went to work at uh, uh, YDDC, the Youth Detention Center, which we were working with uh, uh, kids who created some some pretty serious havoc, and uh, it was from medium security to maximum to maximum security. When we started, we told a story uh, that is from uh, Ethiopia, and I'll, I'll just kind of give the gist of it. And, and actually, people there. Uh, this is always kind of a weird thing to try and do this uh, on a Zoom call, but there was a king, king and a queen. They were very powerful. They were very rich. They were sitting on the balcony of their palace one day, drinking some honey, uh, drinking their tea. The king picked up his honey dripper, and one drop of honey fell on the windowsill uh, overlooking the, the plaza down below. The queen said, uh, dear, uh, you just dropped a you just dropped some honey on the silt. Uh, maybe we should do something. Maybe we should clean it up. It's not our problem, said the king. It was a hot day. That drop of honey began to slowly drip down off the, off the silt. It hit the pavement below, and a fly landed. And did what flies like. It began to lick up some of that honey. Uh, a moment later, a lizard saw the fly, pounced on it, ate it. There was a neighborhood cat. The cat saw the, the lizard, and that looked like a good meal. So the cat jumped on the lizard, ate the lizard. And then a dog came out and saw the cat. The dog and the cat began to fight. Up above, the queen said, and you, know, you can all join here. There's a, there's, a, there's a dog and a cat fighting down below uh, <laughs> my, my husband. Maybe this is uh, this is all our parts. Maybe we should do something. And the king said, "It's not our problem." So the cat, the dog, continued to fight. And you know, there are cat lovers and dog lovers in the world. And uh, well, the the owner of the cat came out and saw what was happening and began to beat on the dog. And the owner of the dog came out and began to beat on the owner of the cat. The queen said, maybe we should do something. Two of our subjects are fighting down below. It's not our problem. Dog lovers, cat lovers came out. Pretty soon the dog lovers were fighting the cat lovers. Maybe we should do something. It's not our problem. So now there was just about a general riot going on. So they had to call out the guard. The guards came out, but you know, even soldiers are there are cat lovers and dog lovers. And so some of the some of the soldiers took the cat lover's side, and some of the soldiers took the dog lover's side. And now there was a civil war going. And before long, a cannonball went flying through the air, banged into the castle, turned it into rubble, and the king and the queen crawled out. And uh, the king turned to the queen and said, You know, dear. Maybe that little drop of honey was our problem after all. So that's one of the first stories that we told uh, to these, uh, you know, 
tough, very tough kids who were sitting there the first day, the first few days with their arms crossed, wondering what the heck, you know, they were doing, listening to listening to stories. What did that have to do with alternatives to violence, why they were there, et cetera, et cetera. There was one girl, uh, I think I, after all these years, I can name her, her name was Nancy. And we were afraid that Nancy was going to, uh, she was a, a sort of a negative peer leader. She had the ability to, com to completely subvert that program. Uh -huh. She heard that story and we literally watched her sit up like a, like a rubber band snapping when she heard that story. She, in fact, she even used the term later when we talked to her about it. She said, I snapped to that story and I realized why I was there, why I was locked up. She said, uh, I was at a high school football game and a tiny little argument broke out. And one thing led to, and one thing, one small thing led to another, which led to another, which led to another, which led to my very violent act. And that's why I'm here. You just told my story. I want to tell that story. And she got permission then to go to all the cottages uh, in the facility and tell that story. So that all came out of the Bullyproof program, uh, Arthur, when we were wow. looking when we were looking for stories that that were alternatives to violence uh, for how you know how small how small things become big how small things become big things. Uh, the uh, I guess we use the power of originating otter to come up with new ideas, new ways to. Uh, New, new new solutions, uh, different ways to approach so to approach problems. Is now originating orangutan. Oh, that's right. <laughs> All right, so I'll I'll share that. Let's stop there. Let's just break away from the uh, from 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 the conflict. Take a breath and and uh, take take some time. Find a solution. Understanding unicorn. Understand what makes a bully tick. Listening links, you know, we, we talk about listening a lot is almost the most important part of storytelling. You know, listen with your heart as well as your ears. Uh, uh, really find out what's what's happening with the, with the person who's doing the bullying behavior. What's what's going on there? Loving lion, love the doer, but not the deed. So try to really connect with that person so that you can love them and see beyond what what's being presented to you yeah yin yin yak uh balance is all, balance uh, opportunities opportunities in crisis picturing porpoise picture your own happy ending that's where you use the power of imagination where storytelling comes uh, into play yeah, ask ask me about picturing porpoise uh, when we're done with this arthur sure <laughs> respectful raven respect your opponent yourself and Mother Earth. So now, oh, originating orangutan, originated win-win way. So that's uh, that's what you were uh, talking about before, Arthur. Some of the stories, you know, find a way, find 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 the stories that don't have just the you know the the usual just strength overcomes. Overseeing owl, overseeing the chaotic fray from a from a wider vision, a wiser way. Again, that's, I think, also the power of being able to use your imagination and seeing different ways of looking at what the situation is. And uh, Fearless Fox, uh, so, you know, come from a, come from a place of, uh, uh, for, come from a place of, of strength beyond, beyond, beyond fear. I mean, fear, fear is real, but uh, understand that you can, uh, you can get be, you you can get beyond it and, and and turn it around. 
And that's what the little mouse did, right? That's exactly, exactly. Let's say just back to- You know, when you're confronted with something that's so dangerous and um, that little mouse was able, well, that little mouse, mother mouse was able to use her, her creative channel, her creative, Creativity. She was an originating. No. She, she was also an originating orangutan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just back to picture. Back to picture. Okay. A minute, Arthur. Just the power. Yeah. Maybe back to the power of storytelling. The uh, power of storytelling. A little bit. Uh, the power of uh, imagination. That was in that little uh, in your introduction when we were talking about the superpowers of the storyteller. Imagination is one that we talk about with kids. George Bernard Shaw, a hundred and something, a little over a hundred years ago, said, imagination is the beginning of creation. We imagine what we desire, we will what we imagine, and at last we create what we will. And so it's a combination of imagination with, with uh, willpower and the actual work to get things done. And... Uh, hmm. Wow. You had the magic carpet ride from Marrakesh. Uh, tell us about the intersection of your storytelling with other storytellers and your network. No, one thing I want to just correct on that is that I did not have a chance, an opportunity to go because of my mother, who, just for those of you who don't know, my mother got a, had a stroke last October. So, which, you know, after having our plans to go to Morocco together, I had to stay behind to attend to her. So yeah, so, yeah. So, so Bob had he came back with stories of his wonderful trip there. So uh, the first thing about Morocco, so just the, the context, the 80 storytellers from around the world, 30 some of them some of them were from Morocco. Uh, a few of the remaining Moroccan masters and their students, and uh the rest of us were from from India, from Britain, from Africa a few of us from North America, South America. I just can't even begin to describe what it's like to be with 80 people who are just, uh, and we all got there under our own power. We were, we were all volunteers. We went there because we love stories. Uh, many of us met uh, during the pandemic through through meetings like this. Uh, you could feel the, the, the intention uh, of, this incredible community of tellers who are working all different ways in their ways to uh, uh, I would say although many would not have known the term people were working these storytellers are all involved with tikkun olam the, the repair the repair of a broken world through story through stories and then there was Marrakesh itself one night I loved, I just love to tell this story. It's like the one story I find myself telling over and over and over again. Uh, usually I've probably got lost in the souks and the small little alleyways in the old Medina, the walled city. I can't tell you how many times I got discombobulated. So one night after a, a, a grand, a, a grand uh, uh, welcoming feast, I, uh, I took a taxi at one o'clock in the morning to the to the area of, of the Medina where I was staying at a guest of a, at a private house. And I said to the taxi driver, I got to, I got to walk, you know, this way, that way, and this way from here. I'm a guest uh, at a private residence here. 
taxi driver turned to me with this big old smile and he said, you're in Marrakesh. You're everybody's guest here. <laughs> and the spirit of hospitality in Marrakesh was just phenomenal. The feeling of, of, uh, of, of welcome. You'd go to buy a, 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 $3, a $3 trinket, souvenir trinket, uh, and be offered tea. Uh, to sit down and no hurry, wish we're drinking some Moroccan tea that I brought back right now. This uh, Morocco had this incredible feeling of of welcome, of uh, uh, of tolerance. One one story though, just to kind of bring us back to the to the larger subject here, we went to a small town called Esweria, which is on the coast, uh, on the Atlantic coast. Uh, they had a very large Jewish population there. There's still a Jewish population. There's still a Jewish population there. It's a wonderful 16th century synagogue called the House of Memory. While I was there, one of the stories I heard, and that I just literally uh, this morning sort of got online and did some research about, was. Uh, towards the beginning of World War II, when the Vichy government, the, you know, the, the fascist-loving Vichy government was uh, running things in Morocco, the uh, Vichy asked uh, uh, King Mohammed, Sultan Mohammed V, to round up all the Jews. And they would have been, uh, they would have been sent off. And uh, after a little bit of time, Mohammed answered Vichy and he said, sir, I have searched all throughout the kingdom of Morocco, and I have found absolutely no Jews, just Moroccans. And he refused to cover <laughs> So, uh, you know, Arthur, I think that that is so resonant with, uh, you know, world, the idea of a world citizen beyond, beyond boundaries, beyond, beyond categories. Uh, it, it was very palpable, that feeling of, uh, of, uh, 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 acceptance, tolerance. Uh, uh, it was wonder. It was it was uh, wonderful. I mean, those. I believe me. I can go on and on for hours about Marrakesh. I've been dreaming about Marrakesh every night since I returned. Wow. Yeah, we had beautiful experiences when we were there too. And and I love what you mentioned about we're all all guests. And you know, we're all guests on planet Earth. I mean, as you travel the world. It's amazing the hospitality you find opening up in various places. Maybe Liz, you could tell us a little bit about that through uh, through Latin America. For me, is really is it's just using a a story that you think it's it only ex comes maybe comes from your part of the world, and then you learn that that story also there's a version of that story that comes from their part of the world. So. So, um, how many times when and, you, when you sing a song, a song like, yeah. arroz, uh, you know, arroz con leche se quiere casar con una muchacha de la capital. And I grew up hearing my mother sing that song and I've used it in some of my storytelling programs. And, and, um, and then I learned that someone from Venezuela also grew up hearing that song or, or from Mexico or, you know, so. So, so, and I get to observe. I get to observe this when 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 Liz is telling that story, and I get to see, uh, you know, as an audience member looking around, I get to see people's faces light up. I get to see the 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 joy on ch with children and adults 
when you know they're maybe they're here in the United States, they're immigrants, uh, and suddenly they hear someone speaking their language or talking about a food that they're familiar with so or a song, they light up. That's going to say that it, you know within it, within the stories, if you share a little bit about yourself, of your own culture, some of your own traditions growing up, and whether they be stories or food or songs you find that people from other parts of Latin America have some similar traditions. In fact, just yesterday, I was talking with a woman who was, who was from Cuba at a school. And, um, and she, I, I, was, I, I was talking about food. I mentioned something about uh, rice and beans. And she said, ah, rice and beans. I said, I'm gonna go home and make uh, frijoles negros, right? Black beans. And, and then she shared her version of a recipe of, for black beans. In fact, I wrote it down so that I can make a version of black beans at home. So, so there's just a lot that we probably have a lot more in common than we, than we don't as human beings on, on this planet. And uh, Oh, that's so true. Yeah. And, and, I, and I love what you said about the intersection of a story from one culture relates to almost the same story in another. Um, when I, whenever I talk to tech support people from all over the world, India, the Philippines, China, everywhere, I, I try to make it a personal experience because here I have this wonderful opportunity to talk to somebody in another part of the world. So, so I'm chatting with this uh, Microsoft tech from India. I mean, excuse me, from China. I'm talking to her in Shanghai. She's in Shanghai and we're talking and she, uh, uh, and, um, uh, uh, I asked her how her weekend was, and she said, well, we, uh, yeah, I, I had the weekend off because I went to see my family because this is the, is a special holiday in China where we, where we celebrate and tell stories about the people who've departed, about the dead. And I said, oh, that reminds me of the Day of the Dead here in Mexico where I am. And she mm -hmm. said, oh, yes, I saw that movie Coco. It was so wonderful. It's exactly <laughs> the same as our, it's exactly the same as our, uh, where, the name of the festival she mentioned there in China, <laughs> which I can speak Chinese a little bit and tell you the name, but sure we can look it up. But uh, she said she resonated with that. So she so resonated with the movie Coco. And wow. uh, that, that warmed my heart in two ways, because for one, that's that, as you said, the intersection of culture around the world but it also affirms what my belief is that if we want to change the world, the most powerful way we can tell stories is through movies and films. I mean, here's a, here's a movie sharing the, the, the culture of, of Latin America with, with, uh, uh, with China. That's right. Yeah, movies and film for me is always food, food, food and stories. And music. I mean, it's traditions. Uh, cultural traditions are really interesting because that's a really nice way to move into well what people are curious they want to know about other people's cultures and oh. and and so when you share something about your own traditions oh that reminds me of and, and my abuela or my grandmother made this and and uh, and i just learned a lot about other people other people through uh the stories of traditions and culture and um and like like he was saying, Arthur, the the, the stories of, of 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 the Day of the Dead in Mexico, and and as it really similar to the how it's practiced in China, and um, and she was able to make a connection that way. So yeah, yeah so through films, 
films are powerful. Music. Right? Yeah, music. Arthur, you, you might remember the the, the feast uh, events that we did in uh, in Santa Fe, and then we. Oh uh, yes, feast was great. Uh, the, Tell us the acronym. We we love acronyms here. Yeah, you, you you taught me you taught me to think in acronyms, Arthur. <laughs> fa families eating and storytelling together. We also families eating and storytelling together. Isn't that great? Uh, <laughs> and we also think about it as friends and families eating and storytelling together. And we also think about it as friend as, uh, as uh, families, friends, and foes eating and storytelling together. Uh, one of uh, there's not going to be time to tell it right now, but one of the probably the most sacred stories and impactful stories uh, that uh, we know is a story that comes from a little Lincoln village where I lived when I was in my 20s. It's called The Man Who Made Friends with the Bears. Uh, and the, the, the gist of it, this was the, this was the uh, inspiration for the feast events and getting people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, different economic uh, situations, uh, people who might... Uh, never sit at a meal together uh, was was uh, at the end of this story, uh, this man has put on a feast for the bears. Other people don't want to come because they think the bears are humans' enemies. But in the end, the feast the feast happens and the old man who whose name was Kassan 120 years ago uh, told the, the, the person who collected this story from this story that we learned that sometimes it's good to sit down with the people at a sit down with an enemy or someone you've had an argument with at a meal because you'll have an opportunity to make friends with them the way that the people made friends with the bears. So that's yeah. that's a that's a story I can't tell uh, sort of uh, uh, formally in a situation like that. It wouldn't be appropriate, but telling about it uh, is the idea that. Uh, Again, following what Liz says, food, food. So we've got we've got movies, we've got music, we've got food and culture, we've got stories, we've got conversations. All this, everything from the lowest tech conversation at a dinner table to uh, to a major motion picture, right? Are all all methods of storytelling uh, that share that 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 basic power to to uh, to bring people together. Well, now, I can't let the mention of the bear going without asking you, Bob, to tell one of the stories from our own family uh, about uh, Grandpa Lewis. So, uh, hold uh, on a second. About uh, Grandpa uh, Lewis. Trying, trying, to, trying to stay out of the... We're, we're moving with uh, the sun. Move okay. over. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. So tell us, about, tell us about uh, the true story in our family about Grandpa Lewis and the bear. Oh, yeah, well, hey, come on, Arthur. Is your grand? Is your grandfather? Although I grew up here, and I I grew up. Well, I'll tell you what. You tell you tell the story about the bear, and then I'll tell the story about the oak tree. Okay. Yes. Great. Right. They're both about Louis. All right. Great. Okay. So uh, anyway, uh, so uh, my grandfather uh, Lewis went to in in, the, in those days they had these kind of vaudeville acts. They didn't have TV and everything yet, smartphones or anything. So people would go watch. Uh, this uh, this man would bring a bear around, a 500-pound bear from town to town, and had a muzzle on it and had its nails clipped. And they would challenge people. If anybody could beat the bear, they would win $50. So they could throw the bear, get the bear down on its back. So my uh, my grandpa watched and looked a while, and Louis saw how big men would come, and they would use all their might, and the bear would always put him down. He never, never lost. 
Um, but my grandfather studied the situation and and walked up into the into the ring, took the challenge, and like in 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 less than less than a minute, he had that bear flat on his back. And uh, the uh, the owner said, "Well, I'm not going to pay you the fifty dollars. You cheated." And what do you mean I cheated? You tickled the bear, and that's exactly what he did. He got up there and he tickled the bear. He he realized from seeing watching the bear move that he was he was ticklish under his armpit. So he got him into the armpits, got that bear laughing and rolling around on his back, and beat the bear. Got the bear on his back. Well, uh, the man refused to pay. So. Uh, this went to court, and there were newspaper articles about that, and there were cartoons in the local papers about it. It was a big deal, this court case. And, uh, and, and Grandpa Lewis won. Uh, the, the, the judge said, you know, uh, there's nothing in the rules. He said, get him down his back. He didn't say he had to use might. If he can tickle him, great. So for me, that's always been a metaphor for, for, for my life and for all my work, that, you know, and it's ex ex that, that when you reach something that's just more powerful, this terrible, this seemingly unbeatable foe, you know, tickle the bear, you know, find this other way. Uh, so I, I love that. And, and so with that, I will uh, ask you to please tell the other story about Louis and the oak tree. <laughs> if you want a great image, everybody, I think the, Arthur, you may have sent this to me. There's a, a cartoon that's over 100 years old. There's Uncle Louis on all fours down beneath a, a, like a, a flagpole growling and a bear cowering up at the top of the flagpole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of so, the cartoon, so, cartoon newspaper stories from the time, yeah. <laughs> so, so the story that Arthur just shared uh, is sort of a seminal story that 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 is so resonant with uh, who Arthur is and who he became and the work that he's done. So I I didn't meet my great uncle Louis, uh, uh, a, uh, you know, escaping pogroms from uh, Lithuania with, uh, with the family. Uh, I didn't meet him until he was 90 years old. And uh, he was in between his like last and his next to last uh, uh, retirement. He was still climbing ladders, washing windows at a at a at a base. And uh, I went with my father to meet my great uncle Louis for the first time. We were in a grow. He 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 walked our legs off, and he was 90, 90 or ninety one. He walked our legs off. We needed a rest. We stopped in this little uh, uh, small wooded area on the base. Uh, and there were some oak trees there. And suddenly, um, Uncle Louie looks at my father and I, and he says, boys, I can't really do his old world accent exactly, but boys, he's calling my father a boy. My father adored Uncle Louie. Boys, he said, look at these oak trees here. He says, hey, Robbie, look at this, look at, look at this young one that, that's right over there. He says, it's, it's, it's straight, it's trunk is straight the way you stand up straight, feel its bark, it's smooth. And then he took his hand and he rubbed it on my skin. He says, just like a young person's, it's, uh, it's, it's smooth, feel that smooth bark. He says, now look at that old oak tree over there. He says, it's, it's not so straight, it's, it's kind of bent the way I am. He says, oh, and feel its bark, oh, he says, feel my skin, it's rough, like the bark of the tree. And then he uh, took this very pregnant pause and he goes, boys, trees and people, it's the same universe. And that has, you know, trees and universe. It's trees and people. That's the interdependence, the inter interbeing of all of, of, of all life. And I, you know, I heard that when I was uh, 
just getting ready to start my studies in environmental education. And that has always been uh, uh, Faisal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name the correct way, but I see I see trees behind you. Okay, and we can all you know we we can all put our hands we can all put our hands on a I can put my hands on a leaf of a house plant here. You could put your hands on the leaf of a tree. We're all connected. It's the same universe. We're all facets on a jewel reflecting each other. It's the same universe. Uh, this is fascinating. I love the, the just grip. You're on your seat wanting to know the end of the story. I love the the honey. That was incredible. And the mouse one, of course. But I have uh, David Gallup who would like to uh, jump in. So let's let David, David talk. Go ahead, David. Yeah. You know, thank you so much, uh, Bob and Liz. This has been uh, an amazing experience for me to hear about the power of storytelling in our lives to help us to learn and to grow from whether we're just little kids or, or as adults and to change our minds. And one of the things that you said that really resonated with me was uh, the power of imagination. Um, you know, Gary Davis used to love to say, uh, to quote um, Albert Einstein saying, uh, imagination is more important than intelligence. And even Einstein, when he was explaining the theory of relativity, had to tell a story about a train and yeah. the light in the train and, you know, someone standing outside the train looking at that and someone in the train and how the light would, would be different. So, but, but relating it back to Gary, uh, Gary, you know, had to imagine a world where he mattered because once he gave up his uh, national citizenship and declared himself a world citizen, he, in some respects, became a persona non grata. I mean, he had trouble, obviously, traveling. He had trouble uh, exercising his rights as the um, millions of refugees and stateless people in the world do uh, today. Uh, so he had to imagine a world um, that, you know, he, his rights and um, uh, duties would be respected. So like he, he would say, you know, David, the Wright brothers had to imagine what an airplane would look like and how, you know, how to make it fly before they could actually build it. Uh, Gary said when he stepped out of the embassy in Paris, he had to imagine a new world, a legal world, not mm. a world in which he was stateless. He had to create a world in his mind first, um, and every progress takes imagination. So, for example, he created the world passport in a sense to tell almost like a story, to tell his story of where I've been, where I want to go, and how I can claim my rights. Uh, so, And I always love to say this, Gary was not stateless. He was world full, meaning mm. he was full of uh -huh. his love for the world. That's beautiful. Wow. Th thank you so much for sharing, you know, awesome. the power of stories. That's beautiful. Wow. You're welcome. Wow. Worldful. I know, you know, Worldful. it's funny. I, I don't think I've ever seen those two words put together just that way. It's so wow. yeah. beautiful. Wow. That yeah. was beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Faisal, go right ahead. Yeah. Hi. Thank you very much for the lovely, uh, lovely evening, actually. It's quite enjoyable. I have a little story for you guys. It's a story wow. told about my I live in Sri Lanka. I'm from Sri Lanka. Wow. And we have the story of the, which comes back from it's immemorial, you know, it's, it's a tradition, it's an old tradition that, that Sri Lanka is an island, but it, the story goes that there was once two islands, a big island and a small island. They, they suddenly realized that a tsunami was coming. Mm -hmm. So they did all their calculations, et cetera, et cetera. And they, and they just realized that the tsunami was going to hit the small island and leave the big island alone. So they so they left all the all the uh, unsmart people on the on the big island, and they all went to the small island. And of course, they had made a mistake in their calculation, and so the small island got wiped out. And all we are left with here now are the idiots. <laughs> <laughs>
in the in the Eastern uh, uh, European Jewish tradition, uh, we we talk about the the Helmites, the the village uh, of of uh, <laughs> fools who think that they're the th think that they're the wise ones. Uh, you know, the, the 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 angel who was distributing fools uh, supposedly all over the world got too close to the mountains. The bag of fools ripped open, and they all ended up in Helm. So there are all these wonderful stories of of, uh, of the fools of Helm. But almost every single uh, culture has stories of fools, uh, and uh, we have we have wisdom traditions, and we have the traditions of fools, and they're they're of course they're they're in, they're intertwined, and it's really the festival, right? We have the festival of fools all over the world. You know the festival of fools. You know that that's a very important tradition. I think you know where we used to have it here as well, but. A lot of our, a lot of our traditional uh, stories and actually practices are getting lost now in the globalization rush. You know, mm -hmm. well, the traditional people are being marginalized more and more all the time, which is that that's the basis of the work that I try to do here is trying to sort of uh, find a financial way for the uh, indigenous uh, traditional fishers and farmers to carry on with their lives because oh. all our all our culture is based around fishers and farmers and and it's all about uh, fertility and all of those things so whilst the poverty that these people are being inflicted upon them now but deliberately by our government it means that all of these people are getting more and more marginalized and coming into the cities oh. and with that you get the loss the loss of these traditions you know and all of these things i mean we have one of the finest of fire walking ceremonies in a small fishing village huh. just about 50 miles from me on the on the on the sea and you know that those guys are getting more and more poor and if they stop if they have to come and move into the city then who's going to do the fire walking you know probably only tourists mm. yeah, so the whole tradition is getting upside down now Mm. It's very sad. Are you located there at home? Uh, yes, I am. I am. Oh. That's my front garden. That's a picture of my front garden in my oh, background. Oh, wow. I'm lucky. I have a traditional farm here. I mean, I've, I've got, I've got, I, I practice regenerative agriculture. I have 42 acres of coconut. And I have sort of, actually, I have 34 acres of coconut and eight acres of an analog forest, which I'm reforesting along the riverside. So oh, I have a river wow. that runs along. Well, thank you for the thank you for the story, and I, I I definitely want to learn more about your work. It just occurs to me, Arthur. There was one thing that I wanted to I definitely wanted to one word I wanted to you know get into this into this conversation. We talked about it before, so I know that everybody uh, who is who is tuned in here and listening is doing good work in the world. And uh, one of the things that uh, our North Star, our compass is the uh the concept that comes from south africa you may know of ubuntu and uh, uh, uh bishop tutu uh maybe really helped put that word uh into the common you know common language but you know the spirit of ubuntu is i am who i am because of who we all are together that's back to the story of me and the story of we so you know we're uh we're all in this we're we're all in this together Wow, what what a beautiful way to sum that sum it all up. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you so much, Liz. This has been fantastic. Um, let me go ahead and send it back to Arthur. He's going to take it away. Ubuntu is a is a great way to end that because uh, we have just had our 
screening on Cape Town television. They just broadcast the world is my country. And the key link there was that in the South African culture, Ubuntu is, is really a, a key factor in, the, in, in their whole culture. And so our movie resonates in that way. Um, and uh, it was fun. I'm glad that David Gallup got to share how that connects. When I heard about uh, you having to keep up with Louie, I remember Melanie and I trying to carry our camera equipment and keep up with Gary, and uh, we couldn't keep up. <laughs> so, yep, uh, he was uh, strong to the end, too. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the People Powered Planet podcast. We hope everyone will come back next week and every week, every Wednesday at the same time. Uh, 10 Pacific, uh, 1 Eastern, and uh, various times in Sri Lanka and around the world. We have a, we put a, a world time link right on our webpage at theworldismycountry.com. Just click on the club, on the podcast page, or go directly to peoplepoweredplanet.com. And while we're speaking of websites, do, do go to Bob and Liz's website. It's in the link. It's storyconnection.com. And enjoy that magic carpet ride with them as they tell stories around the world. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Next week's going to be Action Day. Come join us and take action to help. Uh, and, and maybe we can talk about how we can apply some stories to the actions that we need to change. You know, when we want to change the world, we need to change the story. World citizen, lift up your voices. Oh, you know we got something to say. All we need is the same directions, heading in one way. One way.